0: started. um. Two things I'd like to say. One is, that if you will recall, today is the um, uh, uh, bake sale for the Acapulco team. And um, I don't know if you've seen it, but 201 smells and looks delicious. Uh, When I was in there a few minutes ago, there were a couple of deacons who said they were keeping guard over it, but they had chocolate around their mouths, so I'm I'm not sure exactly what was going on, but uh, I think there should be still some left uh, by the end of the service. The second thing is that we have a new secretary, a new church office administrator, uh, Heather Cheryl's replacement, who is a very capable, personable, intelligent young woman. but also I didn't realize until this morning that she was a rather good judge of character because when I sent in my sermon titled The Godness of God, um, she said, well, there's Southworth again making, messing up as he usually does and uh, retitled it The Goodness of God. So uh, um, the, it should be The Godness Of God. And I realize that's not a word, okay? But, um, uh, but it, it's so, ah. But, uh, whoever did the slides, and I know who did the slides, um, got it right. So, we're good to go. Let's um, turn, if you will, to the first epistle of Timothy, chapter 6, verses, the reading from verse 12 to verse 16. Hear the word of God. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things. Who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and dwells in inapproachable light who no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will continue to calm our hearts and direct our thoughts to you. Lord, be gracious to us. Be gracious to us. and guide us in this time. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My mic was dead. Okay. All right, Kids Quest kids, listen up. I want you to be very loud in church for a change, okay? You have permission. I'm gonna ask you three questions that you, I hope you know and I want you to yell out the answers to me. Okay, ready? Question one. Who made you? (laughs) What else did God make? And third one, why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. Good. This is this is a in technology wonderful um, when it works. Okay, that was supposed to ne- never mind. Um, you'll have the regular guy back next week, and he knows what he's doing. Okay, there have been undoubtedly many. F- Profound theological statements made in this sanctuary. But I would suggest to you that very few of them, if any, have been more theologically profound than what we just heard. God made us, and he made us for his own glory. Paul gets so carried away with this idea in our text that he loses his train of thought, his, the thread of his argument, and goes off into a doxology um, in verse 15. He says which he will display at the proper time, and then there's a double dash in the ESV, and appropriately so. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Amen. Well, I know that godness is not a word, but let me teach you a word that is a word, although um, even word the computer program doesn't recognize it as such. The word is aseity. It's a fancy theological word, but at least it's a short one. It just got six letters, okay? And it comes from two Latin words, a, a, which means from, and se, say, which means itself. And idi uh, means having the quality of, like cruelty or humanity or divinity. So it's the quality of being from or of yourself. It's what Christ talks about in John 5. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. God has life in himself. God has a aseity. We're creatures. We don't have life in ourselves. You try not going for food without without food for three weeks, water for three days, or air for three minutes, and see how much life you have in yourself. We don't have life in ourselves. The Father and the Son have it. We don't. We're creatures. We really can't even imagine having life in ourselves. But... If you can get your mind around the idea of God having life in himself, it changes everything. It changes the way you view God. It changes the way you'll view yourself. It'll change the way you live your life. First thing that it says is that God is independent. If God has life in himself, if he has a say then it follows that he's independent. And again, we as dependent creatures can't imagine that. But look at what that means. He's independent in his thoughts. Oh, the depth of riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? I've been around a lot of dogs. I've used this illustration before, so bear with me. I've been around a lot of dogs. And there's some things I do that dogs understand quite well. When I am eating something, a dog knows very well what I'm doing and wants to get involved in it. But I have never come across a dog that will come up to me while I'm reading a book and saying, Oh, what are you reading? There's some things I do that a dog just doesn't understand. There are thoughts that I think... That a dog can't understand. A dog can chew a book. I've had dogs that chewed quite a few. But but can't read. But when you think about it. The difference between a dog's intelligence and our intelligence. Is a little compared with our intelligence. Our being and God's infinite being. So the thoughts he thinks. Are high above ours the thoughts he thinks are independent of ours. He's independent in his will. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Stop that. You're about to make a mistake. We say that to each other. People say it to me all the time, usually appropriately so. But to say that to God is to say something that you're wrong and He's not. He doesn't make mistakes, His will is independent of ours. In His power, our God is in the heavens, He does all that He pleases. As creatures, we don't know the future. And much of our distress and anxiety is built on that lack of knowledge. But God does know it. He does know it. And so if God has life unto himself, if he has aseity, then he's independent. And if he's independent, what does he need from us? in, in a, way, a different way of asking it, is how, why did he create us? Why did he create us? Well, I've heard some people say, and some people who should know better say, that God was lonely, up there all by himself, and so he created us to have folks to hang with. Well, hear the words of Christ. Um, I missed one. I'll get this thing eventually. Hear the words of Christ in his high priestly prayer. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given to me, may be with me where I am to see my glory. There, there's glory again. That you, may have, that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of of the world there was in the trinity from eternity companionship love communication God's not lonely he doesn't need us to hang with he is complete in himself well how about assistance did he need our help Now, I want to be quite clear here that that he likes to have our help. He asks us to do things, but does he need it? The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hand, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. It's like a, a father um, fixing the plumbing under the kitchen sink. And the little boy standing there holding the wrench. And hands it to the father when asked. Is he helping the father? Sure. Is there, is there communion and, and delight? Hopefully. Um, is, does the father need that though? If the little kid went out to play, could the father fix the sink? Sure. So God doesn't need our assistance. Okay, so how about stuff we give to him? Not just material stuff, but our efforts. How about our worship? Well, we're closing in on it here. But a long one here. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. You burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hill and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. There's glory again. We're coming closer. So God doesn't need our worship. He seeks worshipers, it says in John 4. He wants our worship, but he doesn't need it. Well, without beating a dead horse, hopefully, does he need anything? Let's go back to Romans 11. We looked at it before. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of knowledge of God. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has in his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid who makes God in his debt for from him and through him and to him are all things he is self-existent he has life in himself we don't well the Westminster Confession chapter 2 section 2 Puts this all together, and this is about half of it. And it talks about, without using the word, the aseity of God. God is the sole fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. He has most sovereign dominion over all things to do by them, for them, or upon them whatever He pleases. Now, it's not that he just does randomly. He is most holy in all his counsels and all his works and his, all, all his commandment. And so, to him is due from angels and men and every other creature, whatever worship, service, or obedience, he is pleased to require of them. God has life in himself. He can do to us, by us, for us, or upon us, whatever he pleases. His commands are holy and just, but to him is due whatever worship, service, or obedience. It pleases him to require of us. So, what did God create us? He created us to reflect his glory back to him the kids knew this they may not have known the fullness of it but when i asked why did god create you in all things their response was for his own glory this is what that means in isaiah I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, Do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So we're created for God's glory. What is glory? something that's hard to define, it's easier to describe, and I would suggest that there are three aspects to it. One is a heaviness, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. If you compare the afflictions we're going through now, which seem so heavy, they are so light compared to the weight of glory the desires in the future secondly it's fire or light this is talking about god appearing on mount sinai now the appearance of the glory of the lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain so it's something that's heavy it's something that's luminous it's something that's fiery and big and heavy There's also a third aspect to it. It's the aspect of having an entourage, of having a posse. I think perhaps the the word now is crew. Perhaps that's been replaced by another word already and I don't know it. But it's the idea in a multitude of people is the glory of a king. Christ said in John 7 that we read a while back that that he wanted people to be with him to see his glory. And part of that is to see the multitude of people around him, to see his posse. The point of all this is that we're not created for ourselves. It's not about you, as the saying goes. We're creatures created for a purpose, and that purpose ultimately is outside of ourselves. We were created to show forth God's glory and to reflect back God's glory to him. The center of life is not our happiness. The center of life is not our prosperity. The center of life is not our fulfillment. The center of life is God's glory. And how often we forget that. Chevy Chase, in some of the very, very early Saturday Night Lives, was a uh, newsman, and his tagline was, I'm Chevy Chase, and you're not. Well, that's substitute God for Chevy Chase, and that's what this sermon is about, that God is God. And we're not. The very root of sin is forgetting this simple fact. But the serp- Genesis 3, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You can stop being dependent. You can stop being a creature. You can you can have a saety. You can have life in yourself. You can be like God. And then the world won't revolve around God and His glory. The world will revolve around you and your glory. Sound familiar? Romans 1, therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. We come to see our life as being filled with giving glory to something other than God. Ourselves, another, our work, whatever. That's the root of sin. Is forgetting that it is God only who has life in himself. God only who has a aseity. Well, look the deity the of God is only one of his attributes okay um, part of the call to worship this morning was take my yoke upon me and learn from me because my burden is easy and my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light the Psalm 91 that was read earlier talks about God saving and protecting his people God is loving, forgiving, compassionate. He's gracious. He adopts into his family those who turn to him. Makes them his children. I don't mean to deny or to belittle any of these characters of God, characteristics of God. But, but what I'm trying to say is while God is all these things, he is still God. And he still has all godness in himself. When he comes to us, he doesn't come hat in hand, seeking our favor or our condescension. Would you be my friend? He comes to us instead as the ruler of the universe against whom we have rebelled. He doesn't come as a beggar asking alms. He comes as a king demanding unconditional surrender. Remember, he can do by us, for us, and upon us, whatever he pleases. And to him is due from all of us whatever worship, service, and obedience he is pleased to require of us. God is God, we're not. Pray with me. Father God, we, we come to you admitting, Lord, that while we understand this intellectually, we don't understand it in our hearts. Father, that we, we claim the, the preeminence for ourselves, we claim the glory for ourselves. We claim happiness and fulfillment to be the, the goal of the universe. Father, forgive us. Guide us. Father, now strengthen us as we come to your table and, and provide us with the life that, that we don't have in ourselves. We pray in your son's name. Amen.